So have you ever heard someone say this about someone else? He or she is a good Christian. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, she's such a good Christian. He's such a good Christian. And isn't it true that what they sort of mean by that or what someone means by that is that that particular person is, I don't know, kind and honest and maybe they go to church a lot. Maybe they read their Bible a lot. Maybe they listen to a lot of praise and worship music in their spare time instead of secular music. Maybe they, maybe they speak out against, you know, certain things, <clears throat> certain injustices in the world. Maybe they believe the right things about God. Isn't that what they mean? Or maybe on Friday night when everyone else goes out to the bar, you know, this particular person doesn't go and they don't engage in that sort of behavior. Isn't that what they sort of mean? Or he or she is a good Christian, yes or no? Am I close? And then sometimes you look at that person, you think about yourself and your own behaviors and the things that you sort of do and the music that you listen to and the movies that you watch and the things that you say and the friends that you have and the places you go and you think, gosh, if that person is a good Christian, then I'm probably not very good. You ever think that way? Kind of judge yourself, kind of use that person as maybe a barometer for how you're doing, whether you're a good Christian or you're not so good. And then you think, nah, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe I'm not so bad. I mean, I'm... I think of others consistently, I try, to, I try to do the right thing, and you know, I'm not as bad as I used to be. <laughs> Anybody ever think that way? Sometimes I go to church, every now and then I crack open the Bible, I even say a few prayers. I'm not, I'm not that bad. It's really hard to know, have you ever noticed this? It's really hard to know whether or not you're a good Christian or not so good as a Christian. I want to do a series on that. I don't know why. I was just thinking about that. So this, maybe we can get some clarity here. And this is a great series. If you're not a Christian here today, you're watching online, you're not a Christian, you're not a person who's made that decision yet to be a Christ follower, this is a perfect series for you because if you should ever choose to become a Christian, this series is going to kind of give you the inside scoop on what it would look like to be a good one as opposed to a bad one. So you're in the right spot today if you're not a Christian. And, and if you are a Christian today, here's what's true about many of you, and, and maybe not many, but definitely a portion. There's some of you here today that you're like, dude, I don't need this series because I already know the answer to the question. I suck. <laughs> I'm a continual disappointment to God. <laughs> you don't even have to say anything. I already know I'm a terrible Christian. Come on. I don't need any more conviction. I don't need any more shame. I don't need any more guilt. So can we just move on to the next series? I just want to call a timeout real quick. Hold on, hold on. You may not be doing as bad as you think. Okay? And then there's a group of you. I don't know what percentages it is. There's definitely a group of you. You're thinking, dude, I'm so glad you're doing this series because everything you say, man, I'm probably doing it. Like, let's, let's get on these sucky Christians. Let's like, let's hammer them because I know I'm awesome and they're not. And here's what I want to say to you. You may not be doing as well as you think you are. Okay. <laughs> and then there's a bunch of people kind of in between good Christian. What does it look like to be a good? How do you know if you're on the right track, if you're a good Christian, if you're a bad Christian? Let me, let me begin this way really quick. Just kind of point out some obvious things here. All followers of Jesus should be at some level growing in their faith. Like this is, this is clear teaching from the Bible. You open it up and what you see in many different portions of the scripture that Christ followers should be growing 
in their faith. Let me just look at one particular passage in Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to an, a church in Colossae. This, is, this letter is written to a group of people. You have to remember that. The Bible is written to specific groups of people. It's this, this particular portion of Scripture is written to a church in Colossae, written by the Apostle Paul. He says, he is the one, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom for this purpose. Watch. So that we may present everyone in the church fully, say it with me, mature in Christ. The word mature means, is, is the Greek word teleos, it means full grown. Like a picture of a baby in the mother's womb. It's gone nine months and, and it doesn't need to be in there anymore. So it wants to come out. That bun, that, that is he is, she is ready to come out. They're full grown. Or picture an athlete that, reached, that has reached his or her top skill level. And there's really not much more they can you know, accomplish or not mu- they can't get much better. And so they're at their top of that. They're, they're at the top of their game. That's what this word mature means. So Paul is saying that all of the teaching and all of the preaching and all of the things that the leaders of the church are doing is for the purpose of the maturity of the believers inside the church. That's the goal of the spiritual life is to mature. But what does it actually mean to be mature, full grown? Well, Jesus said one time in Luke chapter 6 verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher and we are students of the master. We're disciples of Jesus, right? We're not going to be greater than Jesus. However, when the student is fully trained, the student will what? Will become like the teacher. So the goal of the spiritual life is to become like the master. To be mature in your faith is to be just like Jesus. To live our lives as Jesus would live them if he were us, is the way Dallas Willard would say it. To be spiritually mature is to live our lives the way Jesus would live them if he were us. He would do our marriage the way, you know, we would basically, if we were spiritually mature, we would do our marriage the way Jesus would be doing our marriage. We would be treating people who offend us the way Jesus would treat them. We would be handling, you know, stress and pressure the way Jesus would handle stress, stress and pressure. We would parent our children in the way Jesus would parent our children. That's what it means to be spiritually mature. And see, now some of you are thinking, see, I told you you didn't have to preach this series. There's no, I'm not like that at all. <laughs> I don't do anything like Jesus. Hang on, hang on, hang on. This is a process. This is a journey. We're just defining some terms. We're just putting the target on the wall. What is the goal of the Christian life. What is the church supposed to be doing for you? It's supposed to be helping you become fully trained so that you can be just like the teacher. Now, when this is not happening inside the church, there's a problem. And in several different churches, there, there, this was addressed. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth, and there's a group of Christians there that were not maturing in their faith. And he had some pretty poignant things to say to them. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters of the faith, I've led you to Christ. We've started this church. When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people. In other words, I wanted to talk to you as if you were mature in your faith. However, I couldn't. He continues. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, as though you weren't even Christians yet. That's what it means to be a person of the world. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world. Or as if you were, say it with me, infants. This is, this is tough language. He says, I had to talk to you as if you were babies in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, 
not with steak. That's basically what he's saying. I wanted to give you some meaty stuff, but you were still nursing at your mother's breast. He continues, because you weren't ready for anything stronger than milk, and you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your what? Your sinful nature. Make a, make a note in, in your margins there if you would. If you're, hopefully you're a note taker because you forget most of what you don't write down, which is why we give you notes every week. And if you're watching online, you can get the notes there on the, on the app. Make a note here. To be spiritually immature is to be controlled by your sinful nature. To be spiritually immature is to be controlled by your sinful nature. See, just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean your sinful nature has been eradicated. <laughs> doesn't mean it's been annihilated. Some people teach that. It's not true. Paul teaches it right here. These are Christians he's writing to. He's saying, hey, guys, um, you're still controlled by your sinful nature. Then he gives an example of what he means. Watch this. You are jealous of one another. Oh, he could have said you're lustful. He could have said you're thief, you're, thief, you're stealing. He could have said you know, you're envious. He could have said you're prideful. He could have named any one of the sins of the flesh, but he names jealousy. He says you guys are jealous of one another and you're quarreling with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you being selfish? Yes, he is. His conclusion is this. Aren't you living like people who are of the world? Aren't you still living like people who don't know Jesus? See, this is a major problem. Now, why is it a major problem? Is it a major problem because Paul is angry about it? Or is it a major problem because God is angry at you and you're not growing spiritually? No. That's not why it's a major problem. Why, in fact, here's the question I'm going to ask. Why is spiritual growth, why does it even matter? Does it matter because if you don't grow up, God's going to be upset with you? disappointed with you, mad at you, or maybe the pastor's going to be mad at you, disappointed in you, maybe the Apostle Paul, whoever's going to be mad at you or disappointed. No, it's not about being mad or disappointed. It's about you missing out on the life that's available to you. That's why it matters. See, Jesus didn't come just to take us to heaven when we die. I'm glad about that. <laughs> Anybody else? I mean, I'd much rather go to heaven than the other place. But that's not why Jesus Christ came into this world. That's not the primary reason. He came to give us life. Dallas Willard's got a quote from a book called The Great Omission, one of my favorite books. It's, he says it in a way that I couldn't say it, so I wanted to quote it to you because it's, this statement is, prob, is the reason why I'm a pastor today. I would say it's the only reason that I'm a pastor today because what I believe this statement I'm about to read to you. He says this, non-discipleship costs you and me abiding peace. Or when we fail to grow spiritually, that's what it means. That's what non-discipleship means. Failing to grow spiritually costs you abiding peace. Right now. A life penetrated throughout by love. In other words, you fail to be able to love the people in your life. You have a loveless life. Even though you're a Christ follower. You have a loveless life. You cannot love those people closest to you in your office, in your neighborhood, in your home. Faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. You fail to see that God is in control. Your faith fails you. doesn't work. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging circumstances. You're constantly given, giving in to discouragement. As a Christ follower, as a Christian, does this explain some of your lives? Is it making sense? Oh, that's why I feel the way I feel. I'm not growing spiritually. 
power to do what is right and to withstand the forces of evil. You forfeit the power to withstand temptation, whether it be with lust or with greed or with any other sin out there, some type of substance, alcohol. You have no power to withstand the forces of evil in your life. Why? Because you're not growing spiritually. See, this isn't about God being mad at you. This is about him being sad for you. I wish you were growing spiritually because there is a life that is available to you. There is power, there is hopefulness, there is peace, there is love, and you're having none of it because you're not growing spiritually. To sum it up, Willard says this. In short, non-discipleship costs you exactly the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring you. What's at stake is the quality of your life when we fail to grow spiritually, which is why Paul is writing the way he's writing in 1 Corinthians, and he's saying, guys, you're like infants in Christ. There's so much more to this deal. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that you might have life and have it. Say it with me. Abundantly. What does that abundant life look like? It looks like abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love. Faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the midst of the most discouraging circumstances and power to do what is right and to withstand the forces of evil. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? That's what's at stake. That's why God says, no. <laughs> we got to be growing spiritually. See, it's like, it's like having a winning lottery ticket in your hand and not going to cash it in. When you, that's, that's what non-discipleship looks like. You, you, you're a millionaire and you never went and tapped into it. I learned the other day that there's $700 million of unclaimed money in the state of Indiana. $700 million that have accumulated over the last 15 years. $50 of it belongs to Jackie and I. <laughs> so after this weekend, we're gonna fill out the paperwork and we're gonna get that $50 and we're gonna go on a date. It's like, it's like all of this money, is all of this wealth is out there for you and I, and it's unclaimed. So sad. But how do we know? How do we know if we're growing spiritually? How, how do we know if we're, if we're a good Christian? How do we know if we're on the, the right track? That's what this series is all about. I'm going to give you, over the next four weeks, kind of four signs of a, of, a, of a good Christian. And again, they might not be what you think they are. Today, we're going to talk about the first one. The first one is this, your desires are changing. How do you know if you're growing spiritually? How do you know if you're a good Christian? Your desires are changing. You're wanting different things. When I was a little kid, I loved to go outside and play during the summertime. I was a little kid in the late 80s, early 90s. Anybody? Some of you are like, gosh, I was in college in the late 80s, early 90s. All right. Anyway, so I remember, you know, I had these two older brothers, and every day we'd go outside and play. We played all day long, all kinds of games. We'd get hot and sweaty, and then the ice cream man would come around. Remember the ice cream man? He still does sometimes uh, in our neighborhoods. And, you know, he'd have his song going and the bell would go and everybody would go, go to their parents and, can I have a dollar? You know, we, and so we would do that. And then my mom would always say, you know, you can only get like a popsicle stick. And she would limit my options, you know, because there was the cheap options, there were expensive options. And then, and then there, was, uh, there was this thing called Fun Dip. You remember, anybody remember Fun Dip? I have some here. Fun dip is a lot of fun. And, and the ice cream man had fun dip. Now, fun dip used to come in a lot, much larger package, if you remember. They were like, because there's a stick here. There's this white stick, which is delicious in and of itself. 
It's called the lick-a-stick, <clears throat> okay? And then you'd have these four packages of sugar. Now there's only one because I think some mother's organization probably, you know, picketed or... Because <laughs> there's 11 grams of sugar in one packet. So times four, it's 44 grams. There's only 39 grams of sugar in a can of Coke. I mean, this is like crack for kids, you know what I'm saying? And so what I would do every now and then, my mom would say I could get a fun dip which was like the jackpot, because I was think I wanted Fundip. I, every time I could get around Fundip, all my friends would get it all the time, and I was so jealous. Because what you do is, mm, you know, you get that thing wet, <laughs> which, I mean, sometimes this is all you need, right? I mean, this is delicious as hell. And then you shove it in there, and you come out with this amazing, you know, sugar-coated thing, and you just all, you just, and then you just go, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole, I mean, and then you go to the next one and maybe you open all four and you bounce between. Did anybody bounce? Any bouncers? Or did you go one by one? And then you're done and you're like, you know, it is a drug. And I used to think about fun dip. I, I did. I woke up and sometimes I used to think about wake up. Think, How am I going to get some fun dip? When am I going to I wonder if my mom will give me some. If maybe I could sneak it. Maybe my friends, like, maybe I, they can buy one for me. I'll go behind the bushes and eat it, you know. You know, today I don't desire fun dip. I really don't. Uh, anybody else resonate? Like, I don't think about it. That didn't even really taste that good. I'm not going to finish that after the service is over. In fact, if you don't care if I lick the stick, you can have it if you really want it. That's kind of gross, people. One of you is going to do it. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't have it appetite for fun dip anymore. Same thing with Contra. Anybody remember Contra Nintendo? Anybody? No? Only one? Okay. Contra fans. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, 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 star. Okay. Contra was my jam. I loved Contra. Played it till my thumbs were raw. My brother was always better than me. That made me so angry. I would wake up in the summertime and think, Contra and fun dip. Contra and fun dip. Consumed by desires, my affections, my longings, my will. I directed my focus towards those types of things. I don't, I don't want to play fun dip. I don't want to play fun dip. I don't want to play Contra anymore. The other day I played a game of, uh, what's it called? Uh, that new game, can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I played Fortnite. Played one round. I just wanted to see what it was like because my kids are all into it, and, you know. And I, I was dizzy after the thing was over. You know, I just I came in seventh only because I was running from everybody. Okay, <laughs> if you understand the game at all. And I just I just I don't have any appetite for Fortnite. I mean, the graphics were cool, I guess. Whatever. No appetite. No desires. Here's what's happened over time. Long story short, my desires are changing. And as a Christ follower, as you grow spiritually. Your desires ought to be changing. The Apostle Paul gives us this incredible little passage that's worth memorizing, Colossians chapter 3. Again, he's writing a letter to a group of people, a group of Christians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. What an interesting phrase. What he's talking about is baptism. He's using it as a metaphor. To be raised with Christ means to come out of the baptismal waters, brand new person symbolically washed of your sins. If you have been raised with Christ, set your, watch this, your hearts. Now the heart is a a synonym for the desires, the affections. In fact, in the English Standard Version, it says set your affections, 
your longings, the things that you desire, on things that are, hmm, interesting, above. What does that mean? Hang with me. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affections, your desires, your appetites, the things that you long for on things above, where Jesus is, in the spiritual realm. Interesting. Then he continues. He articulates a little bit more. He says, set your minds. Now he talks about the mind. See, inside the soul, there are affections, emotions. Then there's thoughts and your mind. And then there's the will. Those are the three parts of the soul. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set your mind on the things that are above. Then he clarifies what he means by giving the opposite, not on earthly things. Well, what are earthly things? Well, accomplishments, achievements, money in the bank, the stuff that money can buy, reputation, fame, pleasure of any kind. Set your focus not on those things. Now that you've been raised, you're a brand new person, you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you have a new way, a new master. Now I want you to focus your mind and your affections on something totally different. Things that are above, not on things that are on earth. See, our desires should be changing. Why? Watch this. For you have, say it with me, died. Now, you haven't physically died. So what does it mean to die? Well, go back to baptism. When you go under the water, it is a symbol of you dying to what? Your old affections. Your old desires, all of the things that you used to chase after and focus on and long for before you met Christ. Then you met Christ, so you died to that system, and you were raised, and now you desire a whole new world, a whole new reality. You've died, and now your life is hidden with Christ and God. Your desires, my desires, ought to be changing over time. This is what it looks like to be a good Christian. In another letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Corinth, where this wasn't taking place, he explained it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so guys, now that we're new in Christ, we have to fix our eyes. In other words, in other words focus our mind, focus our affection, not on what is seen, earthly things, but rather on what is unseen, things that are above. Since what is seen is what? Say it with me. Temporary, it's going to end up in a junkyard one day. Someone else is going to get it when you die. It's worthless. Don't focus your life and your mind and your affections on things that are temporary. Guys, focus your desires and your affection and your life on things that are unseen because they are what? They last forever. You and I are supposed to be desiring different things over time. Just the way a kid changes from desiring Undip to maybe a nice juicy steak or something healthier like steamed broccoli. Not there yet. <laughs> Our desires are changing. They ought to be changing. You're like, see, Danny, there you go. I, I, that's not me. My desires haven't changed. Hang on, hang on. Are you sure? Maybe 2%? How about 5 How about 10 Because that's the way it starts. Didn't start with 100%, didn't start with a total switch. It just, ah, a little bit, a little bit. You know, I don't, my desires are changing a little bit over time. That puts you on the right track. This isn't about perfection. This is about direction. Please hear my heart. 
Some of you need to write that down. This is not about perfection. This is about direction. Where is your life headed? Let me give you three specific desires that ought to be changing in your life. Number one, your desire for God to be honored through your life. See, as a Christ follower, you now have this master. You've been raised to this new life where Jesus is the master teacher, and you follow him, and your desire ought to be now, Jesus, I want to make you look like the great Savior and Lord that you are through my life. See, a spiritually immature people, spiritually immature person is still controlled by their sinful nature, and the sinful nature wants to be noticed. The sinful nature wants to be honored. The sinful nature wants to be attaboyed and patted on the back and, and, and respected and haven't you seen what I've done and I want to be the center of attention and it's still, there's a lot of egocentrism going on and narcissism still there, right? That's the sinful nature. Well, we ought to be desiring less of that and more of Jesus Christ to be honored in our life and to see, be seen as the glorious Savior that he is. Listen to what Paul said to the group of Christians in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life, those who have been raised up to this new life, will no longer live for who? Not me! It's not about me anymore! I'm not going to live to to put myself out in the spotlight. I'm not going to live to put my name out there. I'm going to live to put Jesus' name out there and to honor him. Instead, Paul says this, they will live for who? For Christ, of course. He's the treasure. He's the centerpiece. The story is about him who died and was raised for them. There's this shift from from living for myself to living for God to wanting him to be seen as, as glorious and beautiful because he's the person that people need. And so the story of my life and the story of your life, life ought to be about how great God is, not how great we are. You say, well, I'm not even close to that. Okay, okay, okay. This isn't about perfection. This is about direction. Do you want that? Even as I'm saying it, would you like that? Would you like to pursue that path? Then yes, that's the right path. Take it. Less of you, more of Christ. That's what John the Baptist said. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, oh, Jesus, you must become greater and I must become, say it with me, less. This is the heart of a good Christian. Not that they get it right, not that they're perfect in it. They just want Jesus to be honored through their life. One of the greatest compliments I've ever received before, and it doesn't happen often, is when someone says, I really sense God in you. I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. Because I'm trying. I'm trying to let God be honored through my life. Thank you. Number two, number two, desires that are changing. You desire less of the world. Well, of course you do, because you've died to the world system. The world system says very something very simple. If you have a lot of stuff, if you look a certain way, if you're beautiful, attractive, handsome, pretty, whatever, if you have a certain shape, if you have a certain wardrobe, if you have a certain job, a certain income, a certain type of car, a certain type of house, then you are somebody, you are valuable, you are important. That's the world's gospel, and it is a powerful gospel. What is gospel? Gospel is good news. The world offers you and I a gospel, the gospel that says if you have a lot of stuff and you look a certain way, you will find the good life. 
That's the gospel. You, you, when you put your faith in Christ, you died to that system. And you were raised to a new system. And the new system is, you are my child. I purchased you with my own blood. I am now your father. You are my son and daughter. And in that truth, you are to find your value and your significance. So when you buy into that gospel, guess what happens to the things of this world? They lose their importance. You no longer focus on them. You no longer pursue them. If you lose them, it's no big deal because they no longer speak to the questions of your soul. You see how that works? The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 6. Again, a letter to a group of Christians at the church of Galatia. May I never boast or brag except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm not going to talk big about anything but Jesus. Why? Because... Watch this, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What is he saying? He's saying the, the world system, the world's gospel, I've died to it. It has died to me. I have died to it. It, it says nothing about who I am and what my value is and what my eternity is and what my future is. I've died to that whole system, so I'm crucified to this world. And so what happens? You and I start to desire the things of this world, less. You say, well, I'm not there. I'm not, I still, my whole life seems to be focused on the next raise and the next house and the next, the next $10,000 and the next and the next and the next and the car and the next. Listen, I understand. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. Is there, is there 5% of you? Is there 10% of you? Is there 15%? Of, is there 20% of you that says, oh yeah, that's right. You know, stuff is temporary. It's going to end up in a junkyard one day. I really need to focus on things that are important. I love what St. Francis of Assisi said. Wear the world as a loose garment which touches us in a few places and there lightly. Powerful, insightful, wise advice. The things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are what? Temporary, uh, eternal. So a good Christian is simply desiring the things of this world less. Let's talk about number three. What else? Desires are shifting. You desire God's will above your own. You desire God's will above your own. This is embedded in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, look what the Lord said. This is not the Lord's Prayer, this is our prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, say it with me. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Like that's the prayer of every single good Christian out there. We start the day, not what I want to do, not the way I want it to go, but Father, use my life to bring about your will in this world. This is the way Jesus lived his life. Listen to, listen to what he said in John chapter 6. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. When Jesus was here, he didn't walk through and do whatever he wanted to do. He would check in with the Father and say, what is it you want to do in this village? What do you want me to do with this person? And then whatever the Father would say, that's what he would do. And you say, again, you think, oh, man, I don't live my life that way. I must not be a good Christian. Hold on, time out. We're not. Is, there, is there any part of you, is there a small part of you that says, oh, man, I want that. I want to want that. I don't want that right now, but I want to want that, maybe in the future. That's the right direction. Follow that desire. God, not my will be done, but your will be done. Can you imagine if you did this with your life? And you shifted from wanting your will to God's will. And you shifted from pursuing the things of this world to the things that last forever. And you shifted from, from wanting to be honored all the time and being the center of attention to wanting Christ to be the center of attention. Can you imagine what would happen in your life? Like, how would your life look different? 
When you desire different things, you take hold of different things. What does that mean? Well, if you focus on fundip and contra, you're, you're going you're gonna to get what you desire. Like, okay. But if you focused on Jesus Christ being honored through your life, you are going to achieve that. And people will see God through your life. And you're, you will leave this amazing legacy for your children and your grandchildren. That dad and mom, they, all they really cared about was, was that Jesus would be glorified in and through their life. What other legacy could you leave that's better than that, folks? Money? Come on! Material possessions? Give me a break! You take hold of different things when you desire different things. Instead of attaining more and more physical possessions and accumulating more and more money, guess what happens when you desire less of the world? You, desire, you, start, to, you start to attain eternal things. Well, what does that look like? Well, what's eternal? God. You end up investing a huge part of your life into knowing God and loving him and walking with him. And your relationship with God becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Why? Because you're focusing on it. When you desire different things, you take hold of different things. You will take hold of a strong faith and a strong relationship with God because you are pursuing that with all your heart, mind, and soul. What else is eternal? People. People last forever. They leave behind all their stuff. What did Job say? Naked I came into this world. Naked I will leave. <laughs> right? So you end up investing in people. Instead of buying a brand new car, you take that 15, 20,000 and you help somebody adopt a child from another country. It's, oh, can't imagine doing that. Maybe not right now. Why would you do that? Why would you forego the new car and help a family adopt a child? Because that child will live forever and the car will end up in a junkyard. Yes or no? You see what happens? When you desire different things, you take hold of different things. You start to make eternal investments. You start to become rich towards God instead of piling up more stuff on earth. That's how your life becomes different. You say, that's the life of a good Christian. You start to align your life with the will of God. You wake up in the morning and your hands and your feet and your eyes and your body and your mind and your heart and everything about you is dedicated to performing the will of God that particular day. Wow, what a different life. Some people think the Christian life is boring. Are you crazy? Can you imagine? The reason that you think the Christian life is boring is because you have not surrendered to the will of God. And once you surrender to the will of God and his will becomes your will, now you become his hands and his feet to bring about his will in this world. He could direct you to do this and this and this. He could take you anywhere in any particular day. It's the most exciting life there is to live. That's how your life becomes different. When you desire different things, you take hold of different things. Let me ask you a quick question as we wrap up. Are your desires changing at all? At all. This is not about perfection. This is about direction, right? Are you, are you noticing a shift? Since you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, not things that are on earth. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, right? Because what is seen is temporary. Instead, fix your eyes on what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal. Are you noticing any shift at all? If you are, listen, hang in there. You're not as bad as you thought. <laughs> Say, yeah, I noticed some of that. Some of those movements in my heart. That's what I want. I want my will to be to surrender to God. I want to pursue the things of this world less. I want to pursue eternal things. I want God to be honored in my life, even if it's just 5%, even if it's just wanting to want that, you are on the right track.
Now, let me wrap up by saying this to a few of you. I mentioned a, a moment ago, some of you haven't opted in yet. Some of you haven't become a Christian yet. For whatever reason, you've put it off. Maybe this is your moment. Maybe you needed to hear me say today that it's not all about going to heaven when you die. Certainly Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross. He rose again the third day to wash away all your sins and to take you to heaven when you die. That is absolutely true. But today you heard about peace. You heard about a life penetrated throughout by love. You heard about a faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. You heard about the hopefulness that stands firm in the midst of the most discouraging circumstances. And you heard about the power to do what is right and to withstand the forces of evil. Power, hopefulness, faith, peace, and love. Right now, that is yours. Cash in on it, why wouldn't you? It's the greatest offer on the planet. It's yours by faith. Jesus made it possible. Step into a relationship with Christ today. Receive the forgiveness of sins and all that Christ has for you. In this very moment, would you bow your head and close your eyes? If this is your moment, take these words, make them your own, and pray them to God. Jesus, I come to you today thirsty. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose again to remove the penalty, to forgive me. And so I receive that today. I receive your forgiveness, your grace, and your love. And teach me today to follow you, to grow, to experience that peace. And that love, that strength, and that hope, and that faith as I follow you. Teach me to love you and obey you and experience abundant life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Come on, give it up. Amen. If you just said that prayer, I want to invite you to go back to the tables in the back here to my left and my right. We want to put a gift in your hands if you pray to receive Christ today. If you're in our online campus, you're watching online, you pray to receive Christ, there's a little box there you can check to say, I accepted Christ. Put your address there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. And uh, guys, here's, what, here's why we do this. We believe with all of our heart that as we take God's word into our heart and mind, we grow spiritually. So be sure to do that. One more time, can we give God glory? Come on, raise it high, guys. Amen.